0: This is Joya Italiano. This
1: is Jeff Ekman. And
0: welcome to Oh, That's a Thing, a podcast about the real science and sci-fi movies.
1: Even if you haven't seen the movie, don't worry. We use the movies as jumping off points for some pretty awesome and real topics.
0: That's right. We're not experts at all. We're actually just a couple of goons who Googled some stuff. But this stuff is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, so sit back, relax, maybe learn a thing or two. Here we go.
0: Here we go. <laughs> Are you going to take the red pill or the blue, Jeff? Oh,
1: my God. Let's take the red.
0: <laughs> okay. I was like... I'm we always? watched The Matrix. There's so much yeah. that you could introduce. I was going to be like, what is The Matrix? The Matrix has you. Blah, do, blah, 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 blah. I do
1: love when we do these episodes that we like clink and then I walk back over to my chair and I'm like, what's she got for me? Yeah.
0: Didn't think about it. I was, <laughs> was going to be like, I am Morpheus. <laughs> like, there's a lot. Anyway. Three more
1: episodes, Joya. Yeah. This is the third to last episode. The
0: third to last. Yeah. So three, including this including one. Including this mean. one. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we watched The Matrix, obviously one of the most important zeitgeisty movies of my life.
1: Yeah, one of the most sci-fi movies that we should have done maybe as the first episode of this show. You never know. It's
0: just too easy, man. (laughs) It's too easy. Let's listen to the trailer! Let's do
1: it. Have you ever had a dream, Neo, that you were so sure was real? What if you were unable to wake from that dream? How would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world? It's the question that drives us, Neo. What is the Matrix? It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. You are a slave born into a prison for your mind. The Matrix is a system, Neo. That system is our enemy.
0: Try to realize the truth. What truth? There is no spoon.
1: Human beings are a disease. And we are the cure. It seems that you've been living... Lives. I've seen an agent punch through a concrete wall. Men have emptied entire clips of them and hit nothing but air. But everyone who has fought an agent has died. But where they have failed, you will succeed. So do you need guns? Lots of guns. Are you trying to tell me that I can dodge bullets? No, Mia. I'm trying to tell you that when you're ready, you won't have to. <laughs> Whoa.
0: Wow so many sense memories just flooding back to me I mean yeah I don't remember seeing the trailer when it first came out well because it was 99 we were in right. the 6th grade or whatever yeah we would have
1: been like 12 years old or whatever yeah, I don't... remember seeing it playing commercial after commercial after commercial on TV and every single time one came on I got more excited to go watch this movie
0: yeah I definitely had no fucking idea what it meant or what it was or right. whatever you know but then of course by the time I was middle school high school it was just like the matrix is everything right. you know for like <laughs> yeah. an angsty teen it was everything that I needed we're but all in a Prison. Right. So basically, okay, of course, it's a the story is a computer hacker learns from these mysterious rebels about the true nature of his reality and his mm. role in the war against its controllers. And it's basically like a modern adaptation of Plato's Allegory of the Cave. Yeah, which we've about talked
1: that. about before. Yeah. Knowledge is something that you, when you first learn it, you're like, fuck, no, that hurts. And yeah. I don't want to know it. But then as you get used to the light of the fire, you... Right accept it and understand it and...
0: Right, and you try to tell people, but you're just like, ah, you don't understand. Right, exactly. You're
1: (laughs) trying to bring that knowledge to other people and they're like, ah, fuck, I don't want to believe.
0: But there were so many taglines for this movie that I had to kind of whittle them down because, you know, like (laughs) the... The branding of this movie, there was so much there. It's like, what is The Matrix? The Matrix has you. Reality is a thing of the past. Remember, there is no spoon.
1: <laughs> and like, the future
0: will not be user friendly. Uh-huh. This, was, this was, these are my final favorite too. Perception, our day in day out world is real. Reality, that world is a hoax, an elaborate deception spun by all powerful machines of artificial intelligence that control us. Whoa. Whoa is right. <laughs> you're like, oh, okay. I was like, why is it so long? And then you're like, ah, oh, classic it's Keanu, whoa.
1: For the whoa. <laughs> yeah. And then
0: finally, in a world of ones and zeros, are you a zero or the one? Oh,
1: fuck. <laughs> ah! Holy I shit.
0: Uh, I was like, like God.
1: That person earned their patron. I know.
0: Fucking copywriter
1: from <laughs> hell. No.
0: Okay, so yeah, there I have a million facts about this movie, mm. but I felt like it's fine because this movie has so much. Well, to
1: yeah, offer. there's a, a lot, lot. There's a lot of insanity surrounding the making of it, too. Yeah,
0: totally. So the idea for the movie came from. Can we just decide is it Wachowski or Wachowski? I just want to know. I always
1: say Wachowski. Okay,
0: so that's what I'm gonna say. Okay. So the idea for The Matrix came when the Wachowskis were thinking of some new story for a comic book series, and when their screenplay for a Assassins in 1995 was being made for Joel Silver, the producer. Silver didn't want them to direct it and then told them to direct something else instead, which is why they ended up making the movie Bound, right. which we've covered on the show like briefly. I've never seen it. Me but either. Apparently it was like super successful. It's like lesbian crime thriller whatever. I bet it's great. Gina Gershon, Jennifer Tilly, blah. Ooh. Anyway, so the success of that movie basically gave them the calling card that they needed for Warner Brothers to to trust them to With a direct the movie With a bunch of millions themselves. of dollars. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they'd also been, you know, They'd been harboring their vision for the movie for like five years and 14 drafts of the Mm -hmm. screenplay for The Matrix and whatnot. Which
1: really quickly, that makes a lot of sense that they spent so long revising this and thinking about this movie. Because when the sequels came out, they clearly, the studio was like, you're making two sequels and they're coming out like next year and they have a lot of really interesting ideas in it, but they're pretty messy and not really well thought out. And that really comes from, I think they were under the gun and it was a situation. Situation where at the time studios were like Wachowski would... What- Falsky. Like, yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> we're going to We're going we're gonna, we're gonna to give the this Matrix sequels to a different director because, like, they used to do that all the time. It,
0: it totally makes sense. And I it's funny because it's like throughout all my reading, they always say the Matrix trilogy. But I'm like, it's not it. I like right, I just yeah, like, compartmentalize like, that it's a trilogy because yeah. I feel like the second two, like, really did not do the first one justice. No, they explore
1: a lot of really interesting yeah. things. But again, like, they stink, I think.
0: I told you. It was like the weird dance sex club. Oh, yeah. But I was just like, yeah. God. So William Gibson's cyberpunk novel, I didn't know that was like a genre, but mm-hmm. cyberpunk, he had a novel called Neuromancer, which was an influence on the film, specifically the use of the term matrix.
1: Yeah, I looked up the definition of a matrix and the literal definition is an environment or material in which something develops. Or like, like a surrounding medium or structure. Uh, and then in mathematics, it's slightly different where a matrix is a rectangular array of quantities or expressions in rows and columns treated as a single entity. Basically, uh, okay. it, it's a matrix is like a few different things, but mostly it means a system of some kind.
0: Gotcha, like gotcha, in math, gotcha. it's like
1: expressions of rows and columns. They just mean like a table that follows certain rules.
0: Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't know the context that they refer to Matrix in Neuromancer, but I know that that novel, it's like, it. you know, it also takes place in a fictional real world. And then there's like, they explore the world of cyberspace and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But the author, William Gibson, was saying that the Matrix has a lot of themes not agnostic which is kind of what differentiates because I think maybe his is like he basically was saying that the movie is more like the work of Philip K. Dick so I don't know Hmm. if the book just you know when you say agnostic versus gnostic I'm like what is it more nihilistic the book or what
1: because I think of agnostic as being like I'm not sure what any of anything means but I guess gnostic
0: would mean that you
1: are sure of what things mean well the fact
0: that Neo's the one he's the savior you know what Mm -hmm. I mean that's Uh, suggest Uh, this kind of like Religious ideology as a right, right, to some, right. maybe the work is just purely in cyberspace and doesn't have those kinds of human themes Yeah
1: If the idea is like we can know God yeah. or whatever the reason yeah. is for our creation totally then yeah okay. And that's my
0: assumption, but I definitely want to go back and read it just because I mean I'm like I want to know all the influences. Yeah, yeah. but so basically early on most studio executives really loved the ideas in the script But of course had difficulty imagining how it would translate onto the screen mm-hmm. a lot of them claimed that virtual reality sci-fi was bad business and they actually actually cited the failure of previous movies like Johnny Mnemonic.
1: Oh, which, Kiyonu, not virtuosity? obviously. No, not vir-
0: I feel like people just like let that go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That didn't happen. <laughs> but specifically, yeah, like Johnny Mnemonic. But then the Wachowskis hired these leading illustrators, Steve Scroatsy, I'm not sure their names, and Jeffrey Darrow, who they ended up creating over 600 storyboards. And then the executives reportedly were immediately sold because they were just like, oh, it's such a bold vision. Right, and right.
1: Stuff. That is funny that they basically had to do the process that you do in an anime animated movie and literally show the person frame by frame what it's going to look like so that they can actually understand.
0: Well, and it kind of makes sense because I was reading that the Wachowskis really drew upon their admiration for Japanese anime, like the Ninja Scroll, Akira, Uh Ghost in the Shell, that kind of thing. I just saw
1: Akira for the first time. Oh, I've heard it's amazing, amazing. right? Amazing. Yeah.
0: Everybody tells me. I'm not an anime person, but I feel like that might be the one to to get me in there. It's fascinating. Yeah. So then the Wachowskis made all of the actors and actresses they had to be able to explain the matrix right so they assigned them this book called simulacra and simulation which was a book by jean baudrillard that explores the postmodern concept of simulation and hyperreality so it was like required reading for most of them in the movie it's actually the book that neo hides his computer disks in oh. specifically in the chapter um on called nihilism, on nihilism yeah, which I i'm going to talk about later in the show but when Morpheus is explaining to Neo what the matrix is, he uses welcome to the desert of the real. Ah. And that actually pulls from the book, which is because it's a paraphrase from chapter one that says, quote, it is the real and not the map whose vestiges persist here and there in the deserts that are no longer those of the empire but ours, the desert of the real itself. Ooh. So yeah, it was, again, these are all things that I'm like, fuck, I want to read that.
1: Oh, <laughs> like, right, yeah. Well, simulacra I read simulacra, is, the, yeah. simulacra is, or simulacrum I think is the singular version <laughs> yeah, yeah. of it. Is a Latin word for copy, Mm, so it's mm, like mm. about copies and simulations, and I think it's a copy specifically that no longer has its original.
0: Gotcha. So
1: it's like a concept like that where yeah,
0: and I think like the American title was even something else, like I don't know
1: if we can (laughs) the Matrix.
0: Yeah, it was like just yeah, (laughs) just the Matrix. Okay, other cool tidbits. So legendary Hong Kong stunt coordinator Wu Ping Yuen Yuen? initially refused to work on the film even though he liked the script and he hoped that by asking for an exorbitant fee it would turn off the Wachowskis, but Uh it did not. (laughs) So then he was like, well, uh, what if I'm in complete control of the fights and I have to train the actors for four months and the Wachowskis were like, yeah.
1: Definitely, okay. totally. All, whatever Why you not. need. <laughs> yeah,
0: so from October 97 to March 1998, the principal actors and actresses learned the fight moves and the wire foo that mm-hmm. we've talked about mm-hmm. before, and they originally, the actors thought that it was only going to take a few weeks, but it was like, no, no, my friend, <laughs> and then Wu Ping then began to worry when he realized how unfit the actors and actresses were, so then he just let their body style develop and worked with each of the their strengths, so... He built on Keanu Reeves' diligence, Lawrence mm. Fishburne's resilience, Hugo Weaving's precision, and Carrie Ann Moss's deftness and lightness and feminine grace.
1: Hey, so <laughs> you, they do kind of all fight with their own individual styles yeah. that do kind of represent those things.
0: Absolutely, and it and it totally makes sense though too because I read that Keanu Reeves prior to pre-production suffered a two-level fusion of his cervical spine, which had begun to cause paralysis in his legs. Whoa. So he had to undergo neck surgery, and so he still insisted on training. So Wu when sorry I fucked up the name, but <laughs> he basically was allowed to practice and you know punchy moves or whatever but he was really limited he was unable to kick for like two out of the four months of training that's Whoa. why he doesn't kick that much in the movie
1: oh. and
0: if you notice I remember there's times where he's like a little like there's something about his posture that's a little stooped like uh-huh. the way his head is sitting I've always noticed I'm like what's up with this makes sense if you had like a s- neck surgery yeah. and you're still like <laughs> out and about so I had no idea yeah that was fucking awesome but like the opening action sequence with Trinity running across the the rooftop and stuff mm-hmm. that whole action sequence took six months of training and four days to shoot
1: man so
0: it's fucking crazy
1: and it was all worth it
0: and it was totally all worth it oh also speaking of while she was running across the top i had told you before that a lot of the sets from the the movie Dark City that we did yeah. including the rooftops and buildings and other exterior sets were used in this film so right. when she's running across those are all sets from Dark that City
1: looks like Dark City
0: yeah and then it's crazy to think that you know both movies deal with humanity being kept in this carefully constructed illusion by yeah. outsiders and stuff so a lot of people said that The Matrix was a ripoff of Dark City, but in reality, The Matrix screenplay had been written long before Dark City had ever even happened. And we
1: all know that The Matrix is really a ripoff of the 13th floor, which we've also done on this show.
0: Neo and John Connor are the same. So, oh, fun casting notes. This is crazy to think about because I just, you know, I'm like, I wouldn't have this movie any other way, but Mm. it's just fun to think. So Johnny Depp was said to have been the Wachowskis' first choice for Neo.
1: That would have been interesting. But Warner
0: Brothers wanted Brad Pitt or Val Kilmer. When both of those guys turned it down, Warner Brothers was willing to at least consider Johnny Depp. But throughout that, I heard that Nicolas Cage turned it down because of family commitments. Tom Cruise was also considered. Ewan McGregor turned it down because he was filming Phantom Menace.
1: David David
0: Duchovny turned it down because he was doing X-Files. Leo DiCaprio turned it down because he was concerned about the amount of visual effects and mm. dumb you're like he's like so instead i'll make the beach you know? right yeah but anyway well, but, yeah. <laughs> but we we talked about before that will smith turned it down because he was doing fucking wild wild west oh yeah and he had said that you know at the time he was not mature enough as an actor that if mm. given the role he would have fucked it up but of course later on down the line was like that was the biggest mistake i've ever fucking made right right so then it came down to johnny depp and keanu reeves but Warner Brothers was pushing Keanu Reeves and he had also been like really into the the subject matter and like right. was able to explain this shit backwards and forwards. He had to read like a, like evolutionary psychology and
1: stuff too. It's so awesome that they made sure that all the actors really got the scenario to be yeah. able to play to the complexities of the ideas that are happening.
0: The notion of somebody phoning it in and being like, <laughs> hey, I'll be in my trailer for so <laughs> something like this is just yeah. like, I can't. I read that yeah. Gary Oldman was considered as Morpheus at one point. Oh, he could have been good. Chow Yun-fat turned it down
1: Oh, easily could have seen that definitely and
0: then Russell Crowe turned it down because he said I just didn't get it I couldn't get past page 42 that world was just not interesting to me I'm like good I would not want Russell Crowe in that fucking part I
1: bet a lot of people read the script and were like I don't understand yeah and yeah
0: yeah, well, because, I mean, definitely Lawrence Fishburne was saying when he first read it, he loved it, but thought, I don't know if this is ever going to get made because it's too smart. Right, But you right. Know, luckily it was. And he was saying that Morpheus was like being Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader in one character. Yeah. Kind of. Because, I... like, there's a little bit of a creepiness to him. You're not sure if he's a good guy at first. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but he is a good guy. He is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I
0: think he was just saying, I mean, it's like trench coat, the yeah, darkness, like totally. super mellow voice. and just right. like, no, Neo. Yeah. But yeah, so the, the Wachowskis instructed him to base his performance on the character Morpheus in Neil Gaiman's, Gaiman's Sandman comics. Have you ever heard the Sandman I've Man heard
1: comics? nothing but great things about the okay. Sandman comics. And I that I like need to read these things. Yeah. I, yeah, it's some horrifying world of like the Sandman's an evil guy and he, he goes into your dreams or something but right. I I don't really know the details. I know it's been tr- attempted to be adapted a bunch of times and everybody's like, there's no good way to adapt gotcha, this. Gotcha, okay. But it well, may one if, day be. Well, I wonder if
0: Morpheus and that is a bad guy. Maybe that's why he got that too. Uh, or just just, again, the world, if you're in this like, topsy-turvy world yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Lawrence Fishburne said that when he first saw the movie, he was like, Morpheus scared the shit out of
1: me. So. <laughs> Maybe
0: that's why he said the Dar- Darth Vader uh, thing. Yeah. Jada Pinkett Smith auditioned for the part of Trinity. Okay, She later came back as Niobe in The Matrix Reloaded. Right. Janet Jackson was initially approached, but she had scheduling problems, that, and so she couldn't do it. And apparently in an interview, she stated that turning down the role was very difficult for her, so she later referenced the film in the intro and outro interludes on her 10th studio album, Discipline, which I have not heard, but <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, all right, but fuck, Janet? I yeah. don't know, maybe, but I just I like, can
1: see if she if you get the right performance out of her, yeah. you could do it.
0: Well she definitely was an actor. Yeah. You know, like poetic justice and shit. It's just right, been so long right. since I have seen her in anything. But uh-huh. and then Sandra Bullock turned it down because she just could not see herself opposite Keanu Reeves after Speed.
1: Oh, I get just, that. And
0: I'm like, I understand, but of course she later regretted it, because that's the worst decision ever. Because it's a
1: great movie. And yeah. she also
0: went on to make The Lake House with him, so it's like, <laughs> would you have rather done The Matrix or The Lake House later? And then finally Gillian Anderson turned it down, oh. also assumedly to do The
1: X-Files. But could yeah, you imagine what, it was like
0: David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson? It's it would have
1: like, been like, is this an X-Files movie? Like That would yeah. have been really... I don't think they would have gone with both of them. Total,
0: I mean, it just would have been too fucking weird. Yeah. But uh, dude, Carrie Ann Moss knocks it out of the park, in my opinion. She I does. mean, she interestingly was a cast member of the short-lived television show matrix from 1993 really i have no idea what it's about i assume nothing like this but when yeah when she saw the first cut of the movie it was the first time she'd ever seen herself in a movie before so it's like talk about a big goddamn break
1: yeah no kidding
0: yeah do you see anything about it
1: the series starred Nick Mancuso as Stephen Matrix, a oh. hitman who was killed during a job and sent to a version of Purgatory called The City in Between. Whoa. There he's given a choice to be sent to hell for all the murders he's committed or to return to Earth and help people. Jesus. Once alive again, Matrix receives periodic assignments from The City in Between. Whoa. So he's like a dead guy who's coming back to help people and yeah, Carrie Ann Moss is in it.
0: Wow, wow. That's, actually inter- that's like kind of an interesting topic. I thought it was going to be completely unrelated. Like,
1: no. <laughs> no, like it's a lighthearted between. rom-com. <laughs> nope. Yeah.
0: All right. So this was cool. I had noticed this when I watched it early on, but I didn't. You know, I didn't know anything about filmmaking at the time, but it's cool that all the scenes in, like specifically in The Matrix have a green tint mm-hmm. as if watching them through a computer monitor mm. with all the blue taken out. That was, that was cool. That is cool. The scenes that take place in the quote-unquote real world have a blue tint since the directors thought blue was more of a real-world color, although you've told me before that blue is the least often occurring color in nature. That so is So they were very right. wrong about that. Well, I mean, now that blue.
1: we see it in the yeah. sky, which it, like, part of that whole idea was that it's possible that people in the past saw the sky differently. Differently,
0: right or didn't know or what that it to was call it. Color, right, right. There was like the weird, where it was like, is it the color of wine, or so? it was like something. There weird. was the
1: wine, dark sea. Oh yeah, the was sea. how Homer described the ocean. Right, but like red wouldn't be the right color for the no, real world, no. and so, but the green thing is such an interesting idea of like, there's the green lettering of the Matrix itself, exactly, and all that. So
0: you kind of imagine like your face is mm. re- receiving the reflection of that almost, right, right. And then the fight scene between Morpheus and Neo, which is neither in the real world or in the Matrix, is tinted yellow. So oh. they're just. Fucking with you all over the place, it's great. Now, according to Lana Wachowski, for the slow mo bullet ripple effects, sound designer Dane A. Davis put bullets on strings and then whirled them around his studio. Oh, then he also digitized raindrops against window panes to create the sound of the Matrix code. Oh, that's which is interesting.
1: interesting. Well, like, are they
0: talking about? I thought that was the dial up sound. No,
1: Or I think that might be that, like,
0: oh, like, like yeah, as yeah, yeah.
1: you, I don't, I can't make the noise with yeah. my mouth,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it's crazy to think about that bullet time sequence thing because I read by the middle of 2002, it had been spoofed in over 20 different movies. it yeah. just like, which yeah, man, it's so crazy to think that, like that moment was just blew our fucking minds right. apart.
1: It's hard He's to find more back
0: and flailing, but slow. It's
1: yeah. hard to find more iconic moments in any film. Like, there's like Jack and Rose on the right, door right. at the end of Titanic. There's like.
0: There's slow-mo Terminator 2, the T-1000 walking, and like, hasta la vista, baby. But But, then then there's there's this. Okay, the bending of the spoons in the mm-hmm. Oracle's apartment. This is a nod to the 1970s psychic pop fad of telekinetic spoon bending. Fucking which that you piece talk of about. shit,
1: Yuri Geller. Yeah,
0: and I forget what movie we were talking about with that before, but it was was it that same concept? Or it, was just like, if you bend the spoon with your mind, but really you're like physically kind of moving the spoon. Well,
1: it, his whole thing was, he was a fraud and a fake, yeah. and he went on The Tonight Show and was revealed to be a fake, but he still makes money as a psychic today, and Ugh. it's like a really frustrating thing where like I listened to a recent interview with him and his whole philosophy is so deeply fucked up to me and I hate it so much where he's like yes but you don't know I mean I could be psychic and you know like and the real thing about the Johnny Carson show is that it helped my career I you know a lot of people and he's he's just the worst
0: right right.
1: he didn't bend spoons with his mind but he famously told people that he did and he
0: exploited people's belief Mm -hmm. in him doing that exactly yeah but I mean I thought that that was interesting also because I'm going to be talking about nihilism and like the different types later in the show. And one of them is that like objects don't exist. So that's kind of where that there is no spoon idea comes into play. Finally, to round out this intro, the matrix won all four of the categories. It was nominated for that year at the Academy Awards. And this was the largest clean sweep for a film that was not nominated for best picture, which is Uh, fucking ridiculous that it wasn't nominated for best picture. I don't remember what won that year, but it just seems preposterous that it wasn't even in the category. And I wonder why, like I, Academy?
1: Yeah, like, I think that year, it looks like Shakespeare in Love won, uh, you know, it's like, that's the kind of movie that the Oscars really love. I
0: was gonna say, I was like, what movie did people love more that year than The Matrix? And then I was like, oh yeah, that movie was, Shakespeare in Love was huge. Yeah, yeah. And definitely more accessible to just, like, the world. Right, yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. But, but still, in 2012, The Matrix was selected by the United States Library of Congress for preservation in the National Film Registry Archive, so take that, Shakespeare! <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: I'm just And Finally, in an online interview when the film was first released, the Wachowskis revealed that they'd both take the blue pill when given Neo's choice. That's
1: great. Yeah. Because I believe I would do the same.
0: Which is not knowing the truth. Yeah. And that's kind of a, I mean, clearly more of a philosophical discussion to Mm -hmm. have because as with the allegory of the cave, you're sort of like, fuck what, like knowledge is sometimes extremely painful, especially when you see how like ignorantly blissful these dickheads over here are.
1: And it like, does that knowledge actually benefit you?
0: Right. Like Yeah, like how does it benefit you to know That you're like being harvested by some fucking aliens Or like some robots or whatever Exactly (laughs) Yeah, and then you get swooped out into the (laughs) world It's just a lot It's just better to be like No, I'm gonna go back to the parties Joey Pants had the right idea Yeah, the fucking Joey Pants science
1: so on that subject we were just talking about, as far as questioning the nature of reality, <laughs> yeah. there's this question of whether or not we're living in a simulation for real. Yeah. And questioning the nature of reality is not a new thing. In the year 300 BCE, the Chinese philosopher Zhuang Ji, which I hope I'm pronouncing correctly, i sure you did. noticed that his dreams of being something other than a human, usually a butterfly, were indistinguishable from his experience of being himself. Interesting. So he couldn't say for sure if he was him dreaming of a butterfly or a butterfly dreaming of being him.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So this question of like, (laughs) which is reality? Are you in the dream? Like, I can't tell, so maybe I can't tell.
0: I appreciate that. The beginnings of like human thought and philosophy.
1: (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) So these days, a lot of people do think that we're living in a simulation like the Matrix. And there's a lot of thought to back that theory up. Mm -hmm. So a philosopher at Oxford, this guy Nick Bostrom, put together a series of assumptions. You know what you do when you assume. Right. But these are the major basis of why people really think this. First of all, a technological society could eventually have the ability to create a computer simulation that is indistinguishable from reality Mm -hmm. to the people who are in that simulation. Second, that society wouldn't just do this once or twice, but they'd create tons of these simulations, Mm -hmm. potentially infinite number of them. Third, Left to run long enough, those societies within the simulations would eventually be able to create their own simulations, which are also indistinguishable from reality.
0: Gotcha. Okay.
1: So with those basic assumptions, you end up with billions and billions of simulations with nearly an infinite number of sub-simulations within those. Mm -hmm. But there's only like one society that's actually on top or real. Right. So to simplify it, the odds are almost infinity to one that we're actually living in reality if the odds are equal that we're living in any one of these simulations. Right.
0: I, oh man well I appreciate the explanation because I I feel like anytime I've been you know a captive audience to this type of discussion I'm Mm -hmm. like it's always like just think about it man you know it's just like have you ever thought
1: right it's like what is it in I think Animal House where he's like so you're saying there could be a total universe in my fingernail right (laughs) maybe we're a part of some giant's fingernail right
0: and similarly to how like we've discussed before about parallel universes and stuff Mm -hmm. like it could be that we're just living parallel lives from someone
1: right exactly
0: but again all of that is based on assumptions of... They, like you know there's no actual like evidence to suggest that however I at least appreciate it because it's like certainly with the technological advancements that we have it's, it's right. not beyond the realm of understanding but I also feel like people generally talk about it as though it's like aliens like some higher right. intelligence that is doing that to us which like that adds another layer of assumption that you have to make
1: well it could be some version of future us which yeah. look like aliens to us because you know as Neil deGrasse Tyson likes to say the difference between us and chimpanzees is 2% in our DNA and the difference between us and whatever may be above could make them look at us the way we look at chimps. Chimps,
0: chimps, gotcha. Yeah, makes sense.
1: So, the one real argument against this simulation theory is that a computer with the computational power to handle that is impossible. Mm -hmm. But other than the fact that computational power increases incredibly every year, there are efficiencies that are used in video games that might be used in the simulation that we live in to make this more possible. So, the computer only actively simulates what it needs to. Like, if I looking at you a video game only renders what I can see and doesn't bother simulating everything that's behind me or so far away that I can't see it right the thing is we've talked a lot about the weirdness of quantum mechanics Mm -hmm. and some people think that the weird quantum shit could be explained by us living in a simulation that isn't rendering all parts of it at once
0: Okay. Like particles exist
1: in multiple places at once until it's observed. Right. Maybe that's evidence of a computer simulation.
0: Oh, that's the cat. Schrodinger's cat. Mm -hmm. Schrodinger's Schrodinger's cat. cat. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And just like the various things that we've talked about with the two slit experiment where light passes through both of them at once until it's observed.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's pretty weird.
0: It is weird. I guess. I don't know. I don't know what my holdup is with this except... For just the reality, we're like, why do I care? You well, know, like, yeah,
1: what well, I because that you're jumping to the end, <laughs> right? Sorry, <That's>
0: just <laughs> but, out. not like I care about the end, but it's like if it was a simulation, like what difference?
1: <clears throat> what difference does it make? And this yeah. is why I think the blue pill thing makes a lot of sense. Yeah. because yeah. if we are, who cares? It, yeah. We're never getting out of it, and even if we could, like. What does that look like? It just, it it has no actual effect on your daily life. Yeah. You need to live as though you're living in reality.
0: Right. Like, it's not just as simple to say, like, that just seems preposterous. Like, I can yeah. see this. I can touch. I can feel. I can right. all of those things. But I'm like, well, no, but it's possible that we could get to the point where you touch and taste. and blah, blah, blah. Like, even some right. of the VR shit that they have now is kind of absurd. But again, I'm like, but fuck it. I mean, is it going to change the way that I interact with the world? No.
1: I mean, potentially it could change the way we understand physics, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. we still have to follow the rules of physics as it was coded by the simulation that we live in. Right. So it doesn't matter, really.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Uh. Wow.
1: Real quick related thing is that some people think that this simulation that we're all living in might be smaller than we think. Like there's only a few real people and the rest of the world is filled with non-player characters. Gotcha. Like people in a video game who are just going around on their loops. Yeah, just like
0: lady at sushi restaurant. Right, but the
1: player can go anywhere. (laughs) Right, right, right. And that idea kind of resonated to me because I've been joking with a friend recently about how like, we, we'll just turn to each other and be like i mean i'm told that all people in the world have rich inner lives that are separate from our own totally i don't know man i'm yeah. it's kind of hard to believe Faceless
0: idiots in the corner yeah whatever <laughs> well especially like in this movie where it's just like humans are a disease right <laughs> like, exactly people is a kind of you know you lose the like the special like value of life yeah the virus thing yeah interesting so where do you fall on this are you
1: Before just, i answer that question i just want to say really quickly that Right now, on supercomputers that we have currently, we can simulate the early universe, showing how galaxies formed in the early days. And these simulations do get more detailed and more complex every year. And so it's really not unreasonable to think that we'll be able to simulate a large chunk of the Earth someday. Mm. And if we can do that, then one day after that, we can do the whole thing. And so it's just like one of those ideas that, well, if that's true, it's such a new idea, this whole thing, because we only understood that we could create these simulations for real Mm -hmm. recently. Mm -hmm. And once you know that, you can start going, well, maybe it is the nature of reality is that.
0: Right, right.
1: But to answer your question about like my belief with this thing is that the problem with all these philosophical ideas is that. They're not science.
0: Right, yes.
1: It's not testable, and it's not based on any actual observations. Mm -hmm. It's purely based on a philosophical idea that comes mostly from an understanding of probability and using math to explain something this big as, like, reality isn't really reality. Right. And because it's purely philosophy, my philosophical take (laughs) on it is, who cares?
0: Right, yeah, yeah.
1: It doesn't matter either way because it has no bearing on how you should live your life you assume this is reality because there's no good reason not to.
0: I would never want to stifle the the human need and desire mm-hmm. to answer those questions. I mean, even fucking Trinity is like, it's the question that leads us to the long Right, <laughs> right. So it's like, don't stop asking the questions, but it's, you know... It's just a lot of time that we can devote right. to like other stuff that are actively well, helping us.
1: Yeah, with religions and stuff like that through history, we're always trying to understand where we came from. Right. And so this is I think a scientist's good explanation of where yeah, we came from, totally. but beyond like it being like fun Like, maybe it's this. Yeah. It's not really worthwhile.
0: Right, for sure. I'm going to talk about something that does have some science in it. Well,
1: lay it on me. Okay, so
0: there's a bunch of shit in the movie, obviously, where Neo was able to learn how to be a kung fu master just by getting his brain plugged into the thing. Yeah. And, you know, there's all these things. And we've talked before how I was like, is it possible to learn while, like, not learning? Just, like, while you're asleep or whatever? Yeah, (laughs) like
1: hypnosis tapes or something? Yeah, can we do
0: that? But I was actually reading some interesting shit. So there's the... Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, otherwise known as DARPA. Right. And they are currently working on a project which focuses on targeted neuroplasticity training, which is abbreviated TNT, of course.
1: Oh, shit. Dynamite
0: time. But this is specifically for military personnel. So they're basically investigating the use of non-invasive neurotechnology in combination with training to boost the neurochemical signaling in the brain that mediates neuroplasticity and facilitates long-term retention of new cognitive skills. The premise is that during optimal times in the training process or the learning process, precise activation of peripheral nerves through stimulation can boost the release of brain chemicals such as acetylcholine, not Uh sure, dopamine, serotonin, and norepinephrine Which promote and strengthen neuron connections in the brain. So right now they're basically they're doing the research as to not only like how cognitive skill learning processes are regulated in the brain, how to boost these processes. When I say cognitive, I mean just like learning, Mm -hmm. memory, like learning new skills, language, that kind of thing. So they're they're not only researching like how these kind of neurons form and like what the neuroplasticity in the brain does, blah, blah, blah. But then the engineering side is concentrating on developing these non-invasive methods to deliver that stimulation. So Mm. not like straight up plugging something into the base of your fucking neck and head or whatever. But through
1: like electrical impulses still affecting it.
0: So and specifically because I was saying that this is like for military personnel, at Mm -hmm. least as of now, if successful, it could apply to a wide range of defense relevant needs, including foreign language language, learning, marksmanship, cryptography, target discrimination, and intelligence analysis. So this, I thought, was especially interesting because one of my biggest complaints, not complaints, but like the thing that I was like, but, you know, when him learning, something physical like Kung Fu is like uh, your muscles also have to go through like the training process. Right, There's like right. actual things that happen physically to your body, as opposed to in the realm of language learning, you could easily see how, you know, maybe you could manipulate that. Maybe, right. you could, you know, those specifically cognitive brain skills. Mm-hmm. Cause I at first was thinking like, this is completely outside the realm of reality. And right. you know, it's as unrealistic as us living in a simulation, but it actually makes quite a bit more sense, especially now that we know about the, you know the synapses and the electrical currents and shit in the brain. Right,
1: and it, you, with all things DARPA, it usually starts as military applications and then eventually makes its way into commercial applications, sometimes yeah. more than 30 or 40 years later.
0: Yeah, because what you were telling me before we started about...
1: Yeah, the progenitor of the DARPA agency, which I think was called ARPA, they just didn't have the defense part yeah, at so the time. just
0: advanced research, not defense related.
1: Exactly. They invented the first internet, and that eventually became a commercial thing as yeah. we all know.
0: Oh, crazy. I did not know that they invented it.
1: And so many other projects have like originated from there and then and first were used for the military and then made their way into society. Right. And with this kind of a thing, with all the military applications, that makes perfect sense. But eventually, yeah, what if I just want to have read a book without having read it? Like, could I put this next to my head and then download the information from the book?
0: I know. And like... (sighs) it just sucks because again like we always come to this thing where it's like we we love the the possibility but of course that's going to create even more inequities for like the people that have access to that yeah. software yada 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 and also i'm like but there's something just so satisfying about actually learning a thing and right, like letting yeah. your brain naturally do you know cuz like when you with, with
1: this show yeah. i mean come on yeah
0: i know i know but like you said it's totally in the realm of the kind of like globalism and interconnectedness that we have in the world to be able to be like, oh, man, I'm going on a month trip in Thailand. Let me just pop in my Thai language man. application. And, you know, what it would just totally change in that in that realm. It's just. But, yeah, especially when you think about in the realm of training and stuff. Yeah. And certainly, if they could, you know, add the next level of the physical thing, like I want to learn ballet, but I don't yeah. want to fucking torture my body for 15 years yeah
1: (laughs) Yeah, with that I imagine you could do the techniques but you still are going to need to stretch a lot
0: yeah that's the thing it's like come on it takes patience right but in this you know me want now kind of world (laughs) I guess I don't know but it is cool that that, you know the matrix isn't that far out of our reach I guess
1: (laughs) well eventually we will implant those chips into our brains and we will stick giant needles into our heads yeah and and that's how we'll learn (laughs)
0: that's great Alright, so we learned in this movie that when that same black cat walked by Neo or whatever he got the sense of deja vu but really it's just a glitch in the matrix
1: which I always found a little bit weird because deja vu to me is when I see something and then I get that feeling that I've seen it before when that's impossible Yeah. but they kind of fudge it because it's a movie and they show him a cat walking by and then show the cat walking by a second time Right. so it's not like the traditional deja vu he's just seeing something that's similar twice no that
0: actually happened though yeah No, totally. And like I, to be honest with you, I cannot recall at all the last time I've experienced deja vu. It is a very weird feeling, but I haven't felt it in like 15 years? It's been
1: a couple. Of, I think I had one a few years ago that I was like, holy shit. What I, my experience of it was, was I was like, somewhere in my brain knew that this scenario was going to potentially happen yeah. and had a dream about it. So yeah. I felt like it was it had already happened. Yeah, absolutely. But it hadn't.
0: So let's break this down a little bit. So Psychology Today noted that up to 70% of people report experiencing feeling deja vu, which is mm-hmm. French for already seen. Uh, Makes sense. Mm-hmm. I was like, what is this deja vu? <laughs> now psychologists who study memory say that we have memories for things that have happened to us and also memory for where we encountered the things that happened to us. So the memory for where we encountered information is called source memory. So you might visit an old school that you went to, you might remember a class you took and know that you'd been there before. But the experience of deja vu involves having that feeling of knowing in a situation in which you're experiencing something totally new. Mm. Now, a paper in the December 2009 issue of Psychonomic Bulletin and Review (laughs) suggests one factor that leads to the experience. So these researchers had people study a number of drawings of scenes, and then later the people were shown a number of new scenes and were asked whether they'd seen them before. But some of the new scenes had a similar configuration to ones that they'd studied earlier, but all of the objects were different. Okay. So in this case, participants often reported a strong feeling that they'd seen the new scene before, even though the individual objects were not there, they were totally new.
1: Because they had seen the location.
0: Yeah, they'd seen the location. So like we have a really good memory for objects, like specific objects like if you see a familiar object in an unfamiliar setting you'll still recognize that you've seen that object before mm-hmm. but we're not so good at retrieving a memory based just on the configuration of objects like random
1: objects well it's interesting cuz i'm thinking about that whole mind palace idea that you've talked yeah, about before yeah, yeah, and how totally. like it's about placing objects in a space yeah. in your head and but, like but, being, but it's object based right
0: object based but like very specific it's not right. just a carton of OJ it's right. like a carton of OJ being drunk by like some hobo with his dick out or whatever you know what I mean right. like very picture specific. paint the picture yeah exactly So, like, if you're in a place that has some unfamiliar objects, but they're set up similarly to to a situation that you've been in before, you'll still get this feeling of knowing, but you won't actually retrieve any specific memory for that place. Interesting. So, in the end, the experience of deja vu is just an extreme reaction of the system that your memory uses to tell you that you're in a familiar situation. Now, I found another article on Bustle, but they were speaking about an article in Scientific American. So, this is through Mm. the grapevine, but still Scientific American-based. So there's this guy, Alan Brown. He's a psychology professor at Southern Methodist University, Dallas. And he told Scientific American, with deja vu, a brief synaptic misfiring might occur in these areas, creating the illusion that the event has occurred before. Now, he was also saying that apparently the more distracted you are, the more likely you are to experience deja vu. He says, quote, people who text on their cell phones while walking are only superficially aware of the shops and pedestrians they're passing. Perhaps an episode of deja vu begins during such a moment. When we emerge into full awareness, we might do a perceptual double take. So we're struck by a strange sense of familiarity because we saw the scene just moments before, but unconsciously.
1: Interesting. So
0: that's one take. Now, sometimes it might not actually be be deja vu at all. Like you were saying, like it could be happening because you've actually had the same experience, but just simply didn't remember it. Uh Also, if you see something on TV and then experience it in real life, you have those feelings. Uh, Another idea is that most people have a dominant eye and if the stronger eye sends information to the subconscious before both eyes focus and register the input as a conscious experience your brain might tell you i've seen that before and you have but it was a nanosecond ago
1: oh that's amazing
0: isn't that crazy to think about
1: so yeah but your brain interprets it as a completely old memory yeah
0: as like i've experienced this before and it's like you did just now just with now. your other well, eye
1: <laughs> that's amazing yeah i find the object thing fascinating because i imagine like let's say i'm on a street and there's a bunch of cars lined up on mm-hmm, the side mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of weeks later all those cars are on a different street but lined up in the same way yeah I'm going to experience deja vu theoretically
0: theoretically yeah
1: because all the objects are the same even though the scene is different or yeah. or, or vice versa
0: yeah or especially it's the vice versa thing it's right. like you kind of imagine that you've experienced it before even though it's not it's like they're similar cars or like you know right. it's the same it's, there's a lot of Priuses out there right, you know right, whatever right. okay so now there's something called memory mismatch and this is according to psychologist and researcher Akira Okama So when you have deja vu, your brain is checking itself to determine whether or not the feeling is a real memory or not. And it may be that the general checking system is in decline, which makes it that you're less likely to spot these little memory mistakes. Okay. I feel like a lot of these, you know, it's not like they're like, we have chemical scientific analysis here that blah, blah, blah. But it kind of makes sense, especially with all the shit that we've talked about with memory. Yeah,
1: it does. It is funny with all of this stuff about the brain. I feel like something that we keep learning throughout this entire show has been that the brain, we barely understand it at all.
0: Oh, yeah. Like,
1: we understand a lot of things and we're starting to figure this thing out. But, like, it is such a mystery to us still. My mom was actually talking to me recently about the identity episode that we did. Oh, yeah. And like dissociative identity disorder. And yeah. she was saying that she had read some stuff that indicated that it didn't really exist. And it was just in these people's minds or subconscious. And I was like, the, well, the personality wha- disorder. Right. Okay. And I was like, well, what's the difference between it being unconscious in their minds and it not existing? Right. Or like, you know, like, is that actually different or? Does that not matter? Right,
0: because we're like, our reality is so entwined with our specific perception and consciousness. Right, and
1: then eventually I was like, right, we just don't understand the brain at all. Totally. We know it's doing all this weird shit and we're starting to figure it out, but it's like, this whole thing with deja vu is a mystery.
0: Right, like, I mean, my entire life, it's just like, whoa, deja vu. And then you move on with your life. I've never once been like, what the fuck is that? I would believe (laughs) any
1: one of those theories that you just put forth or all of them. Yeah. Like, they might all be true at once.
0: Right, but again, like, they're all theories. They're, th- they're thinking out exactly. loud. No one actually fucking knows. Yeah. Here's one, you know, we don't know if this is true, but I'm going to just say I don't think this is true. Okay. If you believe in past lives, mm-hmm. Dr. Judith Orloff... Author of Second Sight, an intuitive psychiatrist, tells her story and shows you how to tap your own inner wisdom.
1: No oh, shit. <laughs> she
0: wrote on her blog that deja vu can occur when you experience something now that has already happened to you in a past life.
1: Uh-huh. She used
0: the example of a woman who met someone and knew right away that she was gonna marry that person. They felt like they knew each other their entire lives. Okay. Not just because they have chemistry or, you know, all those things, but because they've known each other in a past life. Uh-huh. And she says this quote There are situations that are glitches in time when the rules bend. And the mystery takes hold enchanted moments that sparkle these are deja vus they can take place at any time and with anyone i'm like you're a psychiatrist bro like, yeah.
1: what, are, <laughs> what are you talking about, about?
0: now yeah. also in this new agey camp is the possibility that you're experiencing precognitive dreams or mm. experience, like dreaming something before it actually happens mm. i don't believe in that but maybe if you're a precog from minority report right, that would right. happen and then there's finally if you believe in the existence of more than one universe you may want to consider that your déjà vu is the result of something called the tuning fork phenomenon. Oh. This relates to when the frequencies of a person's mind temporarily match the frequencies of minds of other living people or subtle bodies in the afterlife. This is according to the Spiritual Research Foundation.
1: The thing about like the past lives thing to me is I'm like, okay, so let's say my déjà vu moment involved a car. Yeah. There weren't cars. In past lives. Right, in the past
0: life, Yeah, like, like, I had deja vu about my DMs
1: being overloaded by dick pics. Exactly. It's like, (laughs) must be from a past life. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Come on. So in the movie, they explain that the humans scorched the skies because the machines needed solar power let Let me, let me take a step it? back. Okay. They, in this movie, they indicate that human beings are batteries that are used to power all of the machines, right? I know.
0: It was kind of great. Like, after all of Morpheus's speech, he's able to be like, they've turned you into this and just, like, had a Duracell in right. his
1: pocket. He had a... <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I've got my
0: prop ready. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's true. They had to program the prop in that simulation for him <gasps> yeah. to use it on... Like, you're going to pull it on, out of the
0: choice moment. Right. Humans are batteries. Okay. So...
1: They explain that humans scorched the skies because the machines needed solar power. Right. Though I guess humans didn't need a plant ecosystem anymore. Yeah. Right? How did
0: we scorch the skies? I, they, me? Don't they don't explain how. They just They're just like, them. we
1: okay. put, some, stuff. put yeah. some clouds up there. Yeah. <laughs> and to give the movie full credit, Morpheus says, combined with a form of fusion. But they, if they have fusion power... Whatever. There's a
0: lot. Yeah. It's
1: fine. There's a lot of issues with this idea of using human beings as batteries. Mm-hmm. So first of all, human beings don't produce much electricity at all. Mm. Certainly not compared to the things that the machines could obviously build. Yeah. Like couldn't they just build a nuclear power plant?
0: right right it's
1: not like they're worried about radiation
0: yeah well it's interesting you say that because it's like humans they create a lot of heat but not electricity
1: but not much heat so all of the heat energy is actually a byproduct of all of the energy that we're consuming within our own bodies
0: right right okay so
1: obviously all right they had other choices other than making a human farm yeah but let's say that they do the human farm we don't generate our energy out of nothing
0: right like move around
1: energy can't be created or destroyed as we know it can only be converted so we have to eat food three times a day in order to even function right So the amount of energy that's being accumulated and then transferred to you via food is seriously significant. And so the machines would have to expend a lot of energy to give us energy to then harvest that energy.
0: Right, 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 right. Which,
1: like, why would you put it through a a human being when, like, you can literally burn the sugars itself and get more energy from that than you would by doing it through a person? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It's like, even with our farms, it's like, you gotta feed the crops, like, you gotta grow the crops and feed the animals, and then you harvest the bubbity boo boo yeah. and
1: there's just a whole chain of stuff, and it's yeah. like, it just isn't practical yeah. to make humans into that. Apparently, in an early version of the script, it was more like the machines were using human brains for their incredible computing capability. Mm-hmm. But the Wachowskis ended up simplifying it to us being used as batteries at some point in the process before it all came I mean,
0: happen. in terms of, like, the visceral, like, the effect right. that it has on right. an audience, of course, but... And yeah. it's more...
1: Complicated to be like they're using our brains because our brains have good computational abilities. They're you like our brains become the computer chips. Right. It's like an in- interesting idea, but
0: to be honest, I think it has more to do with just like the kind of a like soylent greeny kind of mm-hmm. like it's just bizarre a world for us to put ourselves in this like crazy food chain that we're yeah. at the top of to think like. <gasps> Is it possible that another life right. would use us in the way that we use the animal? You know, right, it's like right. that kind of thing, as opposed to. You
1: I know, also just had a couple of other questions this time around watching it where I was like, why is The Matrix online? Yeah, yeah. Like, why are we interacting with each other like it's an MMORPG right. and not like each person in their own individual universe?
0: Right, you yeah. know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, like this whole like group let's play or whatever. right, exactly. Yeah. Like why
1: <laughs> why is it like that? I had a yeah. bunch of more, go- but all that said, like none of that is the point of the movie, no. and it doesn't really matter. No, it doesn't, and so fuck it.
0: And we're not those guys. We're gonna be like, <laughs> hey, the Matrix. Yeah, you know.
1: <laughs> exa- well, apparently we are. <laughs> yeah. But- <laughs> all
0: right, so. A lot of people look at this movie as being sort of a nihilistic look at the world. Yeah, I mean, I'm not yeah. really sure how to it's, think about it. It
1: has a philosophy, yeah. and the philosophy is humans are a virus.
0: Yeah, or just like there is nothing, this mm-hmm. this kind of idea. I basically, I saw a lot of articles that were just like, the nihilistic theories of the Matrix yeah. and stuff. Anyway, mm-hmm. I wanted to look into nihilism because I had a very like superficial understanding of it. But basically, nihilism is the philosophical position which argues that being, especially past and current human existence, is without objective meaning, purpose, comprehensible truth, or essential value. Mm. So it asserts that there is no reasonable proof of the existence of a higher ruler or creator, that a quote-unquote true morality does not exist, and that objective secular ethics are impossible. First thing to note is that this differs from skepticism in that skepticism does not reject claims of truth outright. It just rejects those claims if there's not empirical evidence to support them. When it comes to nihilism, the term was first popularized by the novelist Ivan Turgenev, but it's most often associated with the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, Mm -hmm. although he never actually advocated nihilism as a practical mode of living and was actually Quite critical of it, apparently. Mm -hmm. This was one thing where I'm like, I need to do some reading of his because, like, I hadn't read Nietzsche since like high school or whatever, Mm -hmm. but you know, that was at a time where I was like, I don't know anything about anything. So, no, however, Nietzsche was one of the first philosophers to study it extensively. And his criticism was mainly on the grounds that it can become a false belief Mm. and basically lead individuals to discard any hope of meaning in the world and thus invent some compensatory alternative measure of significance. Right. He also asserts that any form of idealism after being rejected by the idealist leads to nihilism. I imagine this is sort of like a fall from grace or like somebody mm-hmm. who has really, really believed in God mm-hmm. and then maybe something happens where they're like, oh, that actually means that nothing, nothing is Nothing at the all, thing. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, when it comes to this whole thing, I ha- can't help but feel that I have a lot of nihilistic thoughts within me. Like, yeah. I definitely agree with a lot of the philosophy except where it says that it has absolutely no value because I think that we create the value and the value does matter to our own selves and even though in the face of the universe it doesn't like what kind of a way is that to live
0: exactly I mean I'm, I'm totally on board with you yeah. because it's this idea that well I mean even according to Nietzsche it is only once nihilism is overcome that a culture can have a true foundation upon which to thrive. So it's it's almost like you have to get to that point where you're like, what is all of this like Mm -hmm. assigned meaning that we've been giving stuff and the constructs and the blah, 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 Mm -hmm. blah. That's what it is because like I think nihilism gets such a bad rap because it suggests similarly to atheism or agnosticism or whatever is this idea well like, oh, you don't believe in that. So you must believe in nothing and everything must be horrible. And it's like, actually, no, I would like to get to the point where like we don't rely on these Otherworldly, like non-realistic things, in order to like dictate our lives. Well,
1: yeah, like to go back to Cloud Atlas from last week, Mm -hmm. it's like what a nihilistic viewpoint that movie is, in a way, showing, but also showing that like within nihilism is the meaning. Like the meaning is within our own societies and our own species, in a way. Yeah,
0: it's almost like the acknowledgement that the meaning is completely created from us that, that makes other people uneasy. You know, because of course, if like you're sitting next to somebody who's just like nothing means anything nothing's without value there's like to me there's like a pessimism there's an automatic pessimism and cynicism associated with that but there's of course types of nihilism so you can find yourself within that there's first of all the metaphysical nihilism this is also otherwise known as the blob theory Hmm. and it says that there are no objects objects do not exist there is no spoon (laughs) (laughs) and therefore empirical reality is an illusion this has been attributed to philosophers like Buddha Immanuel Kant, et al. Then there's myriological nihilism or compositional nihilism. So myriology is the theory of the relations of parts within a whole. And so the position in the nihilistic world is that objects with proper parts do not exist and only basic building blocks, i.e. electrons or quarks, Mm -hmm. actually exist. So these building blocks never unify or come together into being non-individual. Thus, the world we see and experience which appears to be full of objects with parts, is a product of human misperception. One philosopher who has argued for something close to pure muriological nihilism is Peter Unger. In his papers, there are no ordinary things and I do not exist. This is one area where I start to go off. I feel like like there's some some parts of nihilism that I'm down with, but this notion that like that, like there is no spoon, there are no objects, there are no parts. It's like, again, what... What difference does it make? Like, Well,
1: what I don't understand is, like, if th- those constituent parts that do make us all up are never actually connected to one another and don't affect each other in that way, then, yeah. like, how do we perceive anything at all? So right. how can our perception be wrong? Like, our perception is the connection of those atoms and quarks, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean it, and like what I think what bothers me about this too is it's probably also my like pattern finding brain. Mm-hmm. But like I have a really hard time accepting this notion that like nothing forms, like there's no right. unification, it's all like individual parts. And like, yeah, but we've also learned that, you know, in the same way that if you scramble an egg, you can't unscramble it. Right. There's something that happens with that entropy, unifies it. Yeah. If they were yeah, with entropy, if there was if they were just objects that could then like float apart. That, I don't know. There's a contradiction there.
1: Well, also, yeah, like if the universe did start as a bunch of hydrogen atoms floating around in a soup mm-hmm. or even at some other below that strings or something like that, yeah. that then became atoms, that then became molecules, that then became life. And, but then we see this continuation where we've talked about the Gaia theory before. Yeah. And it's like, we are all now connecting to each other as a global neural network. And yeah. it's like a clear... Process that the universe seems to go through to make these building blocks Which are still the building blocks of the universe more complicated and that's done through connection.
0: Yeah, there's also something called partial nihilism This is where it even gets more like this seems like humans are just coming up with stuff Because some (laughs) philosophers argue that only certain kinds of objects have parts Okay. So there's a complete, like, no objects exist, nothing, co- like, it's only the building blocks, nothing comes right, together. And right. then there's partial, partial nihilism. Now, one such position- Only chairs are real. Not even, not <laughs> even, oh my God. So one such position is organicism. This is the belief that living beings are objects that have parts and therefore exist. Okay. So you and I exist because we have living parts and bluebitty okay. blue blue. Okay, but there are no other objects with parts, and all other objects that we believe to be composite, i.e., chairs or planets what? or whatever, therefore do not exist.
1: But what happens to a body when it's dead?
0: I don't. That's what I'm saying. It's it like stops you're, being you're, real. Your yeah, like your corpse is still a fucking physical. Yeah, thing. that
1: seems like a nonsense yeah. idea.
0: So, but anyway, like these people, these organicists or whatever, they assert that even if there is no such thing as a table, there are simples, which are the basic building blocks that referred to as
1: simples mm.
0: that are just arranged table wise. Like, shut up. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, you're like, the table maker isn't making a table. He's just putting simples in a table-like configuration. Like, I just don't.
1: uh, I'm like, like,
0: you're just wasting my time, but whatever. Yeah, because I
1: don't even know if there's, like, an interesting idea to pull out from that. Yeah. You know?
0: Now, finally, and this is where, like... Because, you know, there's some stuff that'll be like, fuck, you can believe whatever the fuck you want to believe, right. nihilist, but come on. <laughs> but when it comes to moral nihilism, this is where I have more of, of, of an opinion about it. So moral nihilism holds that there are no objective moral facts or true propositions. Nothing is morally good, bad, wrong, or right, because there are no moral truths. So a moral nihilist would say that murder is not wrong, but it's not right. Right. So the philosophy of Machiavelli is sometimes presented as a model of moral nihilism, but it is questionable since he was just, you know, he was actually largely silent on moral matters. And if anything, he presented an alternative to the ethical theories of his day, rather than just like an all out rejection of morality. Right. So this is where I think it actually like matters what what you think, mm-hmm. because I completely understand whether it's cultural or societal or whatever there are going to be questions when it comes to objective moral truth but i just have a really hard time thinking that there's not like empirical evidence to prove that like certain societies are going to be more beneficial to like if you're talking about the goal being like human survival and let's say like health and happiness or whatever exactly you know you have to figure that into the equation well when
1: it comes to the moral truths I do kind of think that there isn't any moral truths and that the reality of the world is that if you chose to believe that way, you can live that way. And there's no real consequences to that other than the ones that we create in society. But I think that the whole point of society, like the whole struggle of humanity is to survive well. Correct. Yeah. There's the survival elements and I keep bringing this up, but it's the idea that like we've brought all of these things with us through our evolution and we're now deciding which ones we want to keep and which ones are wrong for all these different reasons, which right. are usually based in, are we doing the right thing for humanity long term? Yeah. And because our evolution has made us think about survival in the short term too much, we make choices that are morally ambiguous. But the whole struggle that we're in is to define those morals in the world of how do we live well?
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, like, I I completely understand that the notion of being against a, an idea of like moral absolutism, you right. know, because that's when you get into like dogma and you right. get into like weird mm-hmm. like religious shit. But like, we're not we're not fucking living in a vacuum. We're also not just like living in the wilderness somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like, I acknowledge that yes, our moral truths come from the fact that we live in society, but we right. fucking live in society, right. and so kind of similarly to what we were talking about before with the simulation like whether or not we're in a sim- simulation or like whether or not there are moral objective truths or whatever mm. i'm like i frankly don't care like i understand that we're animals and like you know nature is pretty gross and you know it's vicious and they eat each other and stuff right. but i'm like but that's not the world that we live in we live in societies and i feel like we have to have some kind of consensus right. about what we what we want
1: and i think a lot of it comes from cultivating empathy yeah. Like, empathy came along with our evolution, along with survive at all costs, and how do we put more emphasis on empathy and our understanding of, if th- if I do this to somebody else, right. then somebody else is going to want to do that to me.
0: Yeah, that's actually a really excellent point, because I think, you know, as much as I've kind of, you know, softened a little bit on just the notion of nihilism, because I've always just imagined just like angsty dude who hasn't gotten laid in right. a while yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, just like it's... nothing matters smoking a cigarette <laughs> yeah but really like this is the part that i that i'm like yeah the, to me uh, like true nihilism it, it betrays the notion of empathy right i don't think that exactly. you can really be a nihilist if you actually have empathy which is a product of human evolution or so that it's complete sort of like, nihilism yeah, that you're talking yeah, about yeah, complete, or moral nihilism yeah, yeah. the acknowledgement that like you know society is a construct I appreciate that even Mm -hmm. the fucking loading area in the matrix is called the construct which I appreciate it so like yeah you know we all need to be shaken out of our routine I guess Mm -hmm. now and then and kind of remind ourselves that the value that we create in our life isn't really there and reality is blah 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 Mm -hmm. but when it comes to just being like yeah murder is neither right or wrong I'm like eh I'm okay with accepting that, you know, I'm a part of the matrix in that way. Like, right. I don't think that m- murder is okay. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, so, yeah, man, I don't know.
1: <laughs> Me either. <laughs> So we all remember that scene in the movie where it's Mr Anderson and he's like, How Mr. about i Mr. Anderson. Exactly. <laughs> How about I give you the finger? Yeah. And you give me my one phone
0: call. Yep, yep. Yeah, and that's so right.
1: I wanted to look into the history of this one phone call thing. Oh. Is this real? Like you hear about this in movies and TV all the time.
0: Like people go into jail and get the one phone call. Yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Give me
1: my one phone
0: call. Right.
1: You know what it that's means. That's
0: a real thing, right? No what
1: yeah so i also had wondered like if the person isn't home when you do the one phone call or like like doesn't pick up the phone like is that it
0: oh my god thank you for bringing that up because that happened or supposedly happened in scream when billy loomis was like oh your dad didn't answer exactly what and it's
1: not true So apparently it's actually pretty complicated where the number of phone calls you're allowed ranges from zero to as many as you want, depending on the severity and location of your crime and how you acted when you were arrested whoa okay so the sixth amendment entitles you to legal counsel which you would think means that you get at least one phone call to call that lawyer Mm. but not necessarily Mm. you don't need to use the phone to get yourself a lawyer especially if it's a court-appointed lawyer but if you are allowed a call and someone doesn't pick up that doesn't mean that it's that's it for you like the cops are not like we got you on a technicality only one
0: phone call seems fucking absurd right
1: So it varies from state to state, but in general, the police, at their discretion, can allow you to make as many calls to friends or family to get your affairs in order as you want.
0: Right, right, okay.
1: In Nevada, for example, the law actually states, any person arrested has the right to make a reasonable number of phone calls from the police station immediately after the person is booked, except where physically impossible, no later than three hours after the arrest. Gotcha. So, like, if the person's tased and unconscious or being really belligerent or ridiculous, like, it might yeah. happen differently but
0: that's I mean it's definitely an interesting thing that it's been like dramatized so many times right that it's like part of our c- unconsciousness that it's exactly. like yeah you get one phone call you get arrested one phone call you get that's at it. least
1: one phone call <laughs> So I also read in some cases, the police act as a go-between, like making calls on your behalf. Sure. Like, because sometimes people need to get their kids picked up from school or telling your boss that you're not going to make it in because right. you got arrested and stuff right. like there's stuff that you need to handle. And it's not right to be like, well, my pet is going to die if nobody goes to feed it. So let me call somebody to make sense. It's just right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I do also think that usually the phone calls are recorded or monitored.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. You can't be like, hey, right. you break me out of here.
1: <laughs> well, that's the other thing is like if they think that you may call somebody up and tell them like you got to kill this witness man, like yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. they
1: won't let you near the phone in that case. Right. Right. But the phone calls are most often considered a privilege that's offered by the police, which can be revoked at any time if you become violent or antagonistic or if you're wasting their time.
0: Right. That's the the part that gets me a little bit uneasy because I'm like the discretionary aspect of it is like, uh, we've got some issues with police in this country.
1: Yeah, they say if you're making real calls and you're behaving yourself, you should be fine. But it does leave a lot of room for like a pissed off police officer to stomp all over your rights, or not necessarily rights, but your privileges.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: (sighs) You know what I mean?
0: I know. Fuck. Fuck. Well, in the same vein, I was really interested in payphones because. Well, yeah, they. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was like the whole fucking thing. That's how they get back and whatever. I and was, was wondering like,
1: about that. Where, like, if you go into the Matrix in like a jungle area and yeah, there aren't any phones around,
0: fucking payphones, can
1: you not get out?
0: But I mean, also, like, in this day and age, like, I'm, right. like it's not going to be that much longer before people watch the Matrix and are like, "What's
1: this? What are these box phone, with things? phone things?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So
0: I wanted to look into the the brief history of that. Now, it, I mean. There's not much to it. It's Uh like, the world's first payphone was invented by William Gray and developed by George A. Long, and it was installed on the corner of Main Street and Central Row in downtown Hartford, Connecticut in 1889. Oh, that's cool. So Gray was the son of Scottish immigrants and was a precision machinery polisher and amateur tinkerer in Mm. Hartford. I wish I was an amateur tinkerer. There
1: was a time where I think that that was like a more viable
0: Yeah, you're like, I'm an inventor, I'm a tinkerer, (laughs) I tinker. So, I mean, this guy Gray was best known for designing an improved chest protector for baseball catchers that became the game standard in the 1890s. But apparently the story goes that Gray was inspired to create the payphone when either his boss, neighbor, or workers at a nearby factory refused to let him use their phone to call a doctor for his ailing wife. So he got this idea, and I guess the first prototype involved a box that covered the mouth of the receiver and would slide away when a coin was deposited. Now, this was rejected on the grounds that one coin could buy several phone calls and that if another station was called, the receiver would also have to pay. Oh, yeah. It's like a re- OG collect calling. Yeah, yeah. After a few more failed attempts, Gray found the solution. He found a coin-controlled apparatus that used a small bell to signify to the operator when a coin was deposited and then later a more elaborate signal device for telephone pay stations. So then in 1891, Gray set up the Gray Telephone Pay Station Company and he began installing phones on Posts and in cabinets across America, and only a hundred years later, there were more than two million payphones installed in the United States. Wow! I mean, I know it's a hundred years, but still, it's just like crazy to think that that, like, especially when you think of how much it grew and then like now with cell right. phones, well, how, how quickly
1: it became yeah. obsolete.
0: Like from 1891 to now, it's like we went through this whole crazy new industry mm. that is now gone. And- well, I remember when I
1: was growing up, there was some highway that was being put in in New Hampshire and there was some element where they were like putting pay phone stations at like every number of miles. Yeah, yeah, So if yeah, you have a totally. breakdown or something like that.
0: Which, yeah, of And course. everybody
1: felt like kind of like assholes when five years later, car phones were like the big thing. And oh my God. They'd spent all this money on the phone that were only used for like a couple of years if at all
0: that was one part of our history that you and I I feel like completely got past
1: I actually my parents had car phones so I remember that pretty vividly I didn't drive at the time yeah but I definitely would like call them on their car phone and it was like fucking built into the dash and it was a whole that's such a
0: short little blink of an eye like when you think about it it. like at the time that it would have made sense to have Car phone, like the technology. I'm calling from my car. Yeah, yeah. I'm on the road, but you know, I'm not. I'm not out of mind.
1: It makes sense back when you had to have like a briefcase to hold your cell phone because. The oh, yeah. literal cell phone itself, as well as like the battery to power it was so gigantic at the time that like.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, like even in the like Zach Morris, Saved by the Bell, yeah. giant cell phone days. It was like truthfully, I kind of wish that there was a car phone because they're pretty fucking they're slick. But yeah. anyway, so back to pay phones <laughs> now these days, uh, apparently in Britain. Old telephone boxes are being turned into tiny art galleries and information booths. I'm sure, like, Doctor Who probably like.
1: That was was. technically a police box, but I Uh, always think of it as a. It looks like a phone booth. It does look like a phone booth.
0: What the fuck is a police box? I
1: think they used them for phone booth purposes. It was like a police phone booth. But
0: specifically for cops. Okay, but it's a fucking phone and a a booth. Yeah, I believe so. Come (laughs) on. Now, in China and South Africa, Payphones are being turned into Wi-Fi routers, and then in the old United States, about a fifth of America's 100,000 remaining payphones are in New York, according to the FCC.
1: We were talking about the motel recently, and it's like these super 20th century things that didn't make it into the 21st century, but are like fully started in the 20th century and... We're done by a hundred years later. Now we're a global society. One giant thing where we're all connected because atoms are not individuals. They're all together. (laughs) Oh,
0: God. (laughs) Fucking nihilist.
1: (laughs) Did you have any favorite lines?
0: I had a bunch of favorite lines, actually. I mean, I, I wrote down Morpheus's speech for the win. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I have a like... Human beings are a disease. Mm -hmm. There is no spoon, of course. Fate, it seems, is not without a sense of irony,
1: which I like. Oh, that that was one thing I
0: was going to say is I I really wanted to look into fate this time round, Mm -hmm. but we're doing terminator two judgment day next week and of course there's no fate but what you make and i feel like that or not next week two weeks from now but Mm -hmm. so i was like i'll save my fate speech for next time but
1: also we kind of touched on fate what with the fact that we're all living in a simulation is it our fate or have they chosen what we do right right (laughs) i don't know i wrote down the line real is what you interpret through electrical impulses
0: Say it one more time.
1: Real is what you interpret through electrical impulses.
0: I mean, yeah, that's correct.
1: And I thought that was so great because it's like in that way, the matrix is real. Yeah. And reality is real. And yeah, so yeah, it's six to one half dozen to the other.
0: I also think that we don't spend enough time acknowledging that like all of our consciousness and all of like what we think and love and all of these things are a result of electrical synapses right. and then chemical releases, like even love or, you know, something that seems so like human or whatever. It's right. like, eh, you know, your brain's got it figured out. But yeah.
1: It's fucking cool. <laughs> it's <weird. laughs>
0: and then similarly, as long as the matrix exists, human beings will never be free and this, I think, is one of those, you know, moral arguments that we've had throughout the show is that like, y- yes,
1: b- <laughs> but like,
0: what does freedom mean? Right. Sometimes freedom is is actually not as attractive as being like safe in your your perception well, within
1: the Matrix. Like because this, this is something that I was thinking about a lot this time through was like, why would you want to leave the Matrix? This other world. Although it's quote unquote real sucks, yeah. like they're not able to eat any of the foods that they want. Like right. they're dealing with this major problem with the machines and the world being destroyed. And the Matrix is a world where they are kind of free to yeah. do whatever the hell they want. Yeah, I think that the world that Joe We Pants decides to mm-hmm. go into is freedom. And he makes that choice, which is a freedom of choice, more than the people who are working on the Nebuchadnezzar are experiencing freedom.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, and I think we didn't spend a hell of a lot of time on Joey Pants' character. I think it's Cypher. Cypher. Actually, he's always going to be Joey Pants. But yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, we look at him as being sort of the the traitor of the group or whatever, but you also, it's like such a completely human and understandable position to be in. He's like, I want to fucking taste the steak in my Mm -hmm. mouth. I don't want to live in this. Yeah, it's real, but I'm not happy. Would you rather be be like ignorantly blissful or just like pissed off and just aw- I mean th- this is a struggle I've had in my whole life. Yeah. Cause I'm like, I feel like I'm aware and I hate it. Yeah, it exactly. <laughs> but
1: That's I think crazy. that they're free in there. They're more free than the movie makes it seem.
0: You mean the people in the matrix? The people who are
1: in the matrix who are right. unaware of the real world are free to live their lives as they choose within the matrix.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like you know, if you, it's, it, of course, it's easy for the person who like knows and has the info to look mm. on the outside and be like fucking lemmings. Right. But it's like when you're a lemming and you're like, what the fuck? Am
1: I, I'm just a. Also, what human? am I really saying? Am I saying that like somebody who's in a prison? has the freedom to do whatever they want. No, like, you're just
0: talking specifically about the Matrix, which yeah. is a prison of your mind, but, right. is a, but as a prison that, at the, you know, it seems like great and awesome and whatever. Right. But also, like, let's not forget that this whole trilogy is around like this Jesus-like figure in Neo. Not everybody can fucking be Jesus. Mm -hmm. Not everybody can be like part of the crew that's gonna save the human race. I'm more and more acknowledging like, yeah, I've always wanted to feel special, but (laughs) I'm like, I don't don't need to suffer for everybody else to live, I guess.
1: This goes back to, again, Cloud Atlas for me where it's like, in order to be important, all I really feel like I need to do is affect somebody else's life in a hopefully positive way.
0: I have some fun tidbits about the actual the movie that I had to split up because there was so much. <laughs> Did you know that the Matrix trilogy is probably the first and only R-rated movie that does not have the F-word in it? Really? Uh, yeah. Now that I think Why is them, I it like, rated R? I don't know. They're like the concept is just too much because, like, I mean, violence. There's not enough There's violence. There's a lot of and violence in and...
1: PG-13 movies. I mean, maybe yeah. it's like a blood thing.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It
1: seems weird to I, me.
0: Oh yeah, this was something I wanted to look into perhaps in the future. In Greek mythology, Morpheus is the god of dreams, oh. which is ironic because oh. Morpheus's role here is to awaken people from the dream state to reality. Very ironic. And similarly, you mentioned the Nebuchadnezzar. Mm-hmm. So Morpheus' ship, the Nebuchadnezzar, is a biblical reference to King Nebuchadnezzar II of Babylon right. from the biblical book of Daniel. And King Nebuchadnezzar was famous for his conquests of Israel in biblical times. He also built the Hanging Gardens of Babylon or whatever, right, which is like right. one of the lost seven wonders of the world.
1: I remember I had learned about the Hanging Gardens of Babylon around yeah. the time that I saw this movie and I was like, Nebuchadnezzar, that's a reference. Right, right. I'm My brain is waking up. I'm <laughs> alive now. I'm 13. I'm making
0: connections. The synapses are firing. But specifically... Specifically in the book of Daniel Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that he can't remember but he keeps searching for the answer so again it's sort of this no. like that's the question that we're
1: all leading to yeah,
0: yeah. it's the question
1: so th- that drives us
0: <laughs> yeah oh my god fucking Carrie Ann Moss oh yeah this is my last fun tidbit because obviously the costumes in this movie are fucking amazing. Like we haven't talked about Morpheus's crazy eyeglasses and stuff. Oh, the and, like, glasses
1: are so cool. Oh, so good. I heard they had to like manufacture something similar to that because yeah. everybody wanted those glasses. Yeah. But, but they like, were like impossible. No,
0: no, fr- no frames or whatever, yeah, yeah, just yeah, yeah. lenses sticking on your face. I'm like, right. those would fall
1: off. <laughs> They would fall right off.
0: Anyway, I have more, but I feel like we're just we're just at that point. I fucking love this movie. I'm really glad we looked into it me too and that's that
1: <laughs> <laughs> well with that we're doing two more of these fuckers yep you can find us at oh that's a thing.com and on Facebook and Twitter
0: I'm at it's a joy me on Instagram and Twitter
1: I'm at Jeffrey Ekman and we'll be back next week doing the movie Gravity Gravity maybe my favorite movie ever not yeah. saying it's the best movie ever made but it may be my personal Jeff favorite Jeff
0: Ekman's specifically favorite movie ever we'll see you I, then i want to to that
1: bye bye